Crews start waking, stretching, yawning. Just another outback morning. Nah, this one's special. It's Macca on a Sunday morning. What's your name? Uh, Mike Hallam, Macca. What do you do, Mike? Uh, retired carpenter. And I'm pottering around in the shed on my lathe and little bits of furniture. Enjoying this lovely sunny day. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, yeah, too good. Good on you. What's your name? Steve. Steve Possel. Tell me your story, Steve. I'm from the from the mainland. Moved down about four years ago. I used to listen to you as a kid. My grandma will have you up very loud at the moment. Oh, right. Just a shout out to Norma Possel up in Harvey Bay. Is that where you're from, Queensland? Yeah, yeah, I grew up there. Yeah, so that's a bit of a change, but I suppose you acclimatise, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. No, I moved down here for the weather. So. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. The How we- come. The weather and the climbing, like there's, it's a beautiful place down here. It's much cooler. Climbing, you go climbing, do you? Yeah, yeah. I work for the local climbing gym, Beta Park. Lots of hills and mountains around here, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of climbing around, um, all over. There's sea cliffs, Freysonay, Dollaride up at Ben Lomond, all through the gorge. You would have seen a lot of the gorge rock. A bit of a mecca for it. There's a lot. Of, I mean, you could hike. You've got the Ables, and uh, there's a there's a lifetime of hiking here. I'll come hiking with you sometime. I'll come and watch. <laughs> Sit me on a rock somewhere. <laughs> Thanks, Macca. Cheers. Wait a week for Macca on a Sunday morning. There's truckies ringing, quilters calling, there's winter chills and snow starts falling, and everybody's talking about the weather. Jeez, Carl, mate. In Jamestown, Buckin, Old Talbingo, Lura, Portsy, Bernie, Dingo, they're warming up with Macca on a Sunday morning. I wait a week for Macca. On a Sunday morning. Me too. Good morning. Welcome to the program wherever you are. It's Mother's Day, apparently. Uh, as my mother said, every Mother's Day is mother to Mother's Day. And she rang up one morning when I was here and she said, uh, <laughs> I said, you know, it's Mother's Day, Mum. How are you, Mum? And she said, yeah, she said, my son, I've got a son. She said, he's uh, he's okay. He writes me a card. He, he buys me a card and then forgets to write on it. Um... And she, she paid out on me really. And, but she said, I, at the end of it, she said, but I know he loves me. So that was pretty good. I've got a text here. It says, hi, Macker. I adopted three beautiful babies in the late 60s and early 70s. And I've only had the opportunity to thank them or one of their biological mothers. I think of them and thank them every Mother's Day. I've had a lifetime of joy with my three children and six grandchildren because of them. My children have had happy and successful lives. I want to give a shout-out to all those girls who gave up their babies back then. Some were forced to and some wanted their babies to have a better life than they could give them. I just want to say thank you to to them on behalf of adoptive parents and let them know I appreciate what they went through. I don't know. It's Bev, that's right, it's Bev, who sent a subsequent text. Mother's Day. <clears throat> means lots of things to lots of people, I suppose. Um, in a minute, we'll talk about insects um, because I went to Yagara. That's why we're going to talk about insects. <laughs> but look, you give us a ring wherever you are, 1300 700 222. Um, I just want to tell you, we're talking to, I spoke to Bron and Ash last week. They were doing a paper on, or they had done a paper on. But they lived in Longford. Christine Bailey says, that's in Tassie. Oh, it was cold in Tassie, but it was being cold everywhere. I'm looking forward to snow and all that sort of stuff. Macca, this year's Australian Jazz Convention is in Longford in Tassie from Boxing Day to New Year's Eve. Great jazz club there, 20 minutes from Lonnie. 
and 15 from the airport. And Dr. Pete is leading the team. Cheers, CB. That's Christine Bell. Thank you, Christine. Uh, I was talking about DVDs. <clears throat> Bronwyn says, uh, Bronwyn Milford, I just lent a plastic crate full of DVDs to a friend's hubby. He loves watching them. I noticed I had a set of Twin Peaks still in the cardboard box that the set came in. Does that mean you didn't watch it? I've never seen that program. Love your program. Listen every Sunday. My hubby and I came to see you at Fed Square in Melbourne quite a few years ago. Now it was, Bronnie. We'll have to go to Fed Square again. Um, have you ever been to Nimbin? That's I'm not asking you. This is what uh, James Vans says. Have you ever been to Nimbin? They are celebrating the 50th anniversary of their Aquarius Festival through May 19th. Some musician friends of mine now live in Nimbin and their band will be playing at the festival. A complete list of events here and they've got a... Yeah, you can Google, I suppose. There are many fun educational and musical events planned. Hussey Hicks plays tonight. Please consider inviting everyone to the Nimbin Aquarius Festival on your show. How do Australians feel about the Nimbin community? Question mark, question mark. Are they too far out? Question mark. Or leftist? Question mark. I'm in Madison, Wisconsin and started listening to ABC Sydney at the start of the pandemic. I was so impressed with how the country responded in such a logical and organised way. This is from Jim. Jim, I'm not sure that some would agree with you, but anyway, as long as that's how you feel. Listening to your show, I'm always impressed with the Australian national spirit, sense of community and love for the outdoors. I retired in 2020 after 30 years with the Uni of Wisconsin Dance Department doing AV support and videography. I've been studying cinematography and I'm planning to create dance films. Great show today. <laughs> so you play the trombone, question mark, question mark. No, I'm a trombone owner, I said. I'm an owner. I'm not a player. I'm a, I have a trombone. In a minute we'll talk insects. I love insects. I've got a garden full of them. I, in fact, save my insects if I have a fire. I don't have a fire many times because it's not cold enough where I live, but... Um, if I have a fire, I check all the wood with little cracks and I, sure enough, I find little insects in there. So I shake them out and bang them out and then I burn the wood. Um, I just thought I'd tell you that. 1300, 700, triple two. Kel, I just want to read this. Sitting here looking out the window at Beaches Hotel at Thoreau, north of Wollongong in New South Wales, watching the rain fall and the traffic, having a cuppa. I don't think I'll get a swim in therapy in the ocean today. To be here is just as therapy enough. Went out last night to the fabulous Art Deco Anita's Theatre, which is just next door. Hundreds of people congregated to see the angels. What a night. No seating up front, just standing. Like pre-COVID times. Absolutely fa- fabulous. That'd be the mosh pit, wouldn't it, Kel? Standing up the front. Mm. Saw a woman walk past me as I was seated at the side in the beautiful booth seats. I thought, that can only be one person. It was my cousin from Cootamundra. Isn't that amazing? You go to an angels concert... And your cousin turns up from Cooter. I watched from my high advantage spot over this uh, so happy crowd till after the break. Went in search of her and lo and behold, there she was. Yeah, well, you said she was there. So we danced and cheered the rest of the night. What a night. I'm from Oberon Oberon and come to Wollongong to give plasma blood and have a R&R weekend. Says Susan Tabor. Thank you, Susan. Uh, Give us a call. Love to talk to you. G'day, this is Macca. Hello, Hello Macca. Yeah, good day. 
Oh, hi. This is Zelly. I'm ringing from Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, Zelly, I wish I was with you. What are you doing there? Well, I'm a long way from Tarawina. <laughs> That's where you're from, right? Yeah, I've met you at, at uh, Coonabarabran at the hall when you came out to sing. Oh, we did. I'm one of the rainmakers. All oh, right, we did the da- we did a dance there at. Uh, we did. Coonabarabran. We did dance all night. Yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> so, what are you doing in Nashville? Well, we're on a sister's trip. I'm with my sister and my two nieces and my sister-in-law. And are you all ma- are you all mothers too? We're all mothers. Yeah, so Mother's Day. There you go. Go on, keep talking. Yeah, and we're off to the Grand Ole Opry in about an hour and a half. <sighs> Who's on? Uh, Carrie Underwood, uh, Michael Ray, Connie Smith. Oh, Connie Smith. Is uh, she Bill still Anderson. around? Connie Smith's yeah. still going. Wow, how about that? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> and Dina Carter. Dina Carter. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, oh, I didn't know one. Um, uh, Jeannie Seeley. Yeah. And why did you? Why did you yeah. go? This, this is a sisters' trip. Is this a normal thing for you, sisters? Zelly? No, we were coming before COVID, and then we this is, we're just finishing what we started. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's just. Unbelievable. Why? Tell us. We've never been to Nashville. Well, it's like steroid smacker. It is just buzzing. Like, I've never seen so many people really? in one place. It's just so busy. Uh-huh. There you go. It's uh, a bit like a Gold Coast schoolies. <laughs> well, I've never Fred been else. on a Gold Coast schoolies. No, but I've never I've been, taken... but I've just seen it on telly. But it's very, very busy. But we're doing all the country stuff. Yeah, but it... we're heading to Memphis tomorrow. Yep, you're going to Graceland. Yep. Going to Graceland. Yeah, we're going to Graceland and we're going to Tupelo. Tupelo. Elvis' birthplace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's, uh, there's a song about Tupelo, isn't there? Um, what's that about? I can't remember. Apparently they've got really sweet honey there. Really? I... Yep. So, Zelly. Uh, yeah, this sounds like a, a trip of a lifetime to me. I, I think that'd be lovely. A mate of mine. Or a couple of friends of mine actually work in and live and work in Nashville. Um, Mark Punch is a guitar player. He's over there um, and he plays mm-hmm. around the place. I'm not sure he's there at the moment because he travels around a bit, but he he works yeah. over there. It's uh, a lot of. Is there a lot of music in bars and things like that? Have you noticed oh. that? Oh, yeah, in every bar. Uh huh. Every bar. It's just we did go into the Johnny Cash Museum and the bar next door. They played really good music, a lot of old music. Mm. Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn. Um, yeah, so they were really good. Good girl, a young girl on the fiddle. She was amazing. Oh, yes, that's a place to be, isn't it, uh, in uh, Nashville? I'd love to go there sometime, sometime. And then. You've never been, Macca? No, never been. Never been anywhere, really. <gasps> never been west of Strathfield, <laughs> as they say. But I'd love to go. But and then I'm going to drive down to Campeche. And when I go to Nashville, then I'll drive down to Campeche in Mexico, across the border, if you're allowed, and uh, mm-hmm. do that. I'd love to go to Mexico. Yeah, we just thought we'd ring and and just let you know where we were. Well, exactly. We've been worrying. We've been worrying. We wonder. Yeah, I where know. You've... It was nice to hear Kel... your voice Kel just, just a while ago where... on the radio too. Kel just said, "Where's Zelly?" And I said, "I don't know. Um, maybe she'll ring." And here you are. Yeah, here I am. Here, here he is. <laughs> All right. Um, enjoy. Ring us next week and tell us about uh, the Grand Isle Opry. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Will do. Okay. All right, Zell. Thanks, Macca. See you in Tarawina sometime, eh? <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, that'd be great. You'll have to come out to the farm and get Dugo to sing to you. There's a what's the name on there next? I think it's on next. Where's me bits and pieces? Yeah, it's um, um, flights up the Castle Ray. Yeah, that's right. There's a yeah. Oh, flying up the Castle Ray. Something, yeah, something like that. It's on next week. There's a fly in there at the yeah next Saturday at the Turuina yeah. Airport, which is the centre of the world. That's really. it. Good on you. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Maka. Thank you, Sel. G'day, this is Macca. Hey, Macca, it's Mo, mate. How you going, buddy? G'day, Mo. Yeah, we're just in the ute on our way to work. There's myself, Mango, Dara and Justin in the ute on our way to work out to Olive Downs. We're building a mine out there. All oh, right. How long's that been going on? Uh, we've been out here probably oh, eight months, I'd say. Wow. Yeah, we're sort of getting it up and getting it ready to go for them to start pulling some coal out and that, yeah. And this is west west of Moranbar or west? Yeah, yeah, sort of south west, in between Copperbella and Moranbar. Uh-huh. Cool, cool out there this morning? It is a bit cool. It's got a jacket on. It's not too bad, but, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a good day. And where's it going? Clear skies and, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good day. Where's home for you, Mo? Uh, Prindai Beach, just north of Coffs Harbour. Wow, you're a long way from home. So you fly yeah. and fly out, do you? Yeah, that's correct, yeah, yeah. And I suppose most of the blokes and girls do that. Yeah, the other lads are from, oh, one of them's from Tully, uh, the sunny coast, and the other lad's from Port Macquarie. That's the, us four in the ute anyway, yeah. And what what do you do, Mo? What's your job? Oh, we're just in logistics, us four fellas. Like, we bring this, uh, this product in from Mackay and into the site and just wander around delivering stuff around site and... Giving it to all the boys, the chippies and concreters, whatever they need for their job for the day. Well, good on you, mate. Great to talk to you, mate. Nice to know you're listening. Say good day to Dara and Mango and the rest of them. Good on you. I will, mate, for sure. Thanks. You've got a good show. That's great. We love listening to it. Good on you, mate. All the best. Cheers. Bye. See you, mate. Bye. G'day, mate. It's uh, Tim Holt here calling from uh, Dubai over in the Middle East. How are you? G'day, Tim. Yeah, good. How are you? What's happening? What are you doing? Uh, well, it's middle of the night over here, um, but uh, it's a price you pay if you want to call in um, and say hello. Um, uh, I was just ringing up to uh, give you a heads up about uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, myself uh, and a team um, from AFL in the Middle East, uh, based out of Dubai, um, travelled over to Beersheba uh, in Israel and played a game of AFL um, as part of a, a bit of a commemoration for World War One against a couple of teams from Israel uh, and as well as an AFL team from Europe um, uh, that travelled out uh, for the weekend. Wow, that must have been fantastic, mate. Where are you based, Tim? So uh, I'm, I'm based in Dubai. Uh-huh. Um, and I've been over here for about uh, four years now. Um, I actually remember, I think I actually called in you a couple of years ago for Mother's Day. Um, to, to wish, and coincidentally, it's obviously uh, Mother's Day again in Australia <laughs> at the minute. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we put a, a team together from a couple of the existing teams based out of the um, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, uh, and uh, and we travelled over. Uh, and it spent a bit of time uh, looking around uh, Beersheba and went to the um, the war memorial uh, that's there and had a look at the. Uh, all the commemorations and, and things, and looked at the history um, for obviously what happened over over a hundred years ago. So uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty uh, amazing kind of weekend uh, and kind of celebration of, I guess, our history there as well as 
uh, I guess, a pretty random spot, but to play a game of footy there as well. <laughs> now, tell me about this. Tell me about your team uh, and the boys involved in that and the Israeli team, and, and more importantly, who won? <laughs> um, so uh, our team uh, was, uh, like I said, uh, put together from a bit of a Middle Eastern uh, the teams that were already exist in Dubai. Um, there the was a core group that kind of went over just as one team. Uh, we uh, had kind of informally dubbed ourselves the Whalers, um, which is a bit of a reference to uh, the horses that went over um, in World War One, um, and which is uh, touched on quite a bit in Bill the Bastard, which I'm sure some of your people may know. Yep. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we got invited over by the, um, the Israeli team, uh, the, sorry, the Israel, AFL Israel to play. So they actually had uh, a couple of teams there and it's made up mainly of guys purely from Israel that have had very little exposure to AFL and have just uh, kind of got involved and are now extremely passionate about the game, um, which is quite odd, but um, they, they absolutely love it and <laughs> they put on a, a pretty good event. So uh, we actually, the, the, the Middle East team, uh, ended up getting up um, for the weekend. So uh, we'd won the semi-final and then won actually a really close game in the final against uh, one of the Israeli teams. Well, that's, so. a, that's a lovely story, a, a lovely story. See, I wouldn't have thought there'd be a... I know what uh, AFL fanatics are like, so it wouldn't matter if you're on the moon, you'd, you know, cobble a team together and say, oh, yes, we're, we're playing <laughs> up here. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought they played in Israel, but they they play it all over, don't they, by the sound of things, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, like I said, there was a team from Europe um, that was uh, based out of the Vienna Galas that, that travelled out as well. Um, and and they're, they're, they all play in that. Yeah, they, they all play in the, uh, the AFL European competition. Um, so it's pretty random. Originally, when I came overseas, I didn't think I'd be playing AFL, but um, here, here we are. Yeah, well, a bloke rings us from time to time, every couple of years, and he goes to Pakistan, Pakistan. My, I think it's Michael, and he came in here one morning, but he rings us from time to time in Pakistan, and he goes with the men's team and the women's team in Pakistan. Now, who'd have thought? I mean, really, but uh, yeah. they're um, they're mad about it. Yeah, that's it. It's uh, it's uh, pretty amazing to see. Yeah. Now, Tim, uh, tell me you. You live in Dubai. What do you do there? Uh, I, so I actually moved over here uh, working for a builder, so I work in like uh, and project management. Well, they've been, so, they've been, uh, yeah, they're building everything in their, in Dubai, aren't they? So I, I suppose people yeah. like you are in demand, and I suppose there's builders from all over the world, is there? Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a, a cultural melting pot um, mm. with, with what's going on, mm. uh, and you see some pretty amazing things um, being built, and that's probably one of the benefits of coming over here. You get to work on things that would seldom come up uh, in Australia. Yeah, I'll say. And but see, the thing is, Tim, I think you better come home because we're short of the odd builder here. Like, <laughs> there's apparently a lot of houses and things to be built, but not enough people to build them. Uh, I think that's the story yeah. with Australia. Yeah, that's it. Um, actually, funnily enough, not directly related. You, you actually spoke to my uncle last weekend, who who lives in Mexico. Oh, really? Was that your uncle? Yeah. Um, Steve, yeah, Steve. St- Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, we we uh, were lucky enough. We popped over there a couple of years ago um, and spent about a week uh, on his ranch. Um, uh, the timing worked out really well because we had another cousin uh, that's based uh, out of Dallas in the US uh, who was getting married in Cancun. So 
we we roped it all in together and went over for a trip over there. Yeah, well, we're going to we're going to Campeche for a holidays on the first first opportunity. Mate, <laughs> yeah, it, I can tell you, it's like it's like nothing else. Um, it, it's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. So how do you so it, how do you get there? You fly to where and then fly to where, and how do you get there? Well, well from uh, actually, I think randomly enough, uh, Dubai to um, Campeche versus Dubai to where we were on the east coast of Australia is about exactly the same distance. Wow! Except you can't you can't fly direct. We had we had about thirty two hours door to door via Canada actually, which was uh, about the most uh, efficient route. Um, so yeah, we were actually completely stuffed and out of whack by the time we we got there yeah. uh, when we travelled a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'd, I'd fly to Los Angeles and just drive. Um, that sounds like a great drive going driving down to Mexico. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure if you spoke to Steve, he'd probably get he'd probably tell you to fly straight across to Cancun because it's still it's still a five and a half hour drive uh, inland from there. So, but uh, no, it is uh, yeah, it's an amazing spot. Next thing you'll tell me, uh, Tim, is that there's a uh, an AFL team in um, Campeche. Uh, no, I'd say they're probably. It wouldn't surprise Come me if there on. was a team there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, Timmy. Uh, yeah. So uh, your future, you've got a family over there in Dubai or what's the story? Yeah, um, yep. So I'm over here with my wife um, who is actually uh, celebrating her first Mother's Day today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so we had a little girl in November. Um, so, yeah, we're just uh, getting ready for the heat to set in over here. Um, so yeah, there's no point giving you a weather report because it's the same most days of the year. It's just getting to that part of time where it's just stinking hot. Uh, and uh, over here in Oz, it's uh, well not stinking cold, but it's getting cold here. In uh, we've had some, we were down in Tassie last week. It was minus one overnight, so that's nice and cool. But um, Tim, it's great to talk to you, mate. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, thanks for the report. And actually, the um, was it the uh, did you say the Vienna Galars one? No, who no, was us? So that was the, the, the Middle East team. So that I said we informally called ourselves the Whalers. The Whalers. So the Whalers won. All right. Yeah, well, that's it. Tim, it's great to talk to you, mate. Um, and, yep. uh, yeah, keep in touch. And I might see you in Campeche or somewhere or when you get back, give us a ring and you can uh, build me a house or something. Yeah, do something. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of, work, right. well, plenty of work for builders, mate. Yeah, right. Well, I think that will, that will be the first of um, many, uh, I think, AFL events that they'll end up doing based out of Beersheba. So maybe I can, I'll can ring back uh, after a game in another few years as well. I was, uh, I was, I was actually I was supposed to call you after the um, night of the match, but I ended up having a few beers and, uh, and missed the time slot. Oh, of so. course, of course. That's as you do. Yeah, yeah I'll hear yeah. from you another Mother's Day, Tim. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I was going to quickly just sneak the opportunity to say Happy Mother's Day to... Um, my mother and grandmother, um, as well as uh, my mother-in-law. Where are they? Mother-in-law. Where are they? Um, so a couple of them are just uh, in the rock outside of Wagga Wagga. Uh-huh. Um, so my direct family, and then uh, on, on my wife's side, uh, they're up on the uh, far north coast uh, around Yamba. Good on you, Tim. Great to talk. Cheers, Mac. Have a good one. See you, mate. G'day, Macca. Um, my name is Valerie Keenan. I'm ringing from Murray Upper in far north Queensland. How are you today? Good. From Murray Upper? Yeah. It's a little community between Cardwell and Tully in far north Queensland. All right. Off the coast? And inland, is it a bit? Yeah, a little bit inland, yeah. About 18 k's inland. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, up towards the, the hills and it's an overcast day here. And but still green and beautiful, lots of birds, um, great place to live. I'll say, it's not, I've been, been there for ages, but I remember going through Cardwell and last time we went through Cardwell, there was a coffee van there where all the tourists stopped, somewhere near the near Hinchin, yes. was it near Hinchinbrook? Yeah, somewhere there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, still there, still there. <laughs> and you actually dropped into Gerringen Aboriginal Corporation and I met you there one time. Oh, right, yes, Valerie, I remember yeah. that. That's a yeah. while ago too. Yeah. It is. <laughs> now tell me what's happening today. Is, I wanted to let you know about my new book that I've written. Um, it's called Drawing You In, Carl Lumholtz in the Herbert. Um, Carl Lumholtz was a Norwegian fellow who undertook a number of expeditions in the Herbert River Gorge in far north Queensland in 1882-1883. And he worked with the help of the Warragamai people up there. Mm-hmm. Carl Lumholtz, did you say? Um, What's yeah, his... he was uh, Carl Lumholtz. Uh, the Lumholtz tree kangaroo was named for him. Wow. And you've written a book about and... him? I've written a book about the uh, animals, the mammals and birds that he collected, and uh, I collected together a series of oral histories told by Warragamai people, Girimay, um, Didibal and um, Warrenu people, and also have an ex- exhibition, an art exhibition, uh, looking at all those birds and mammals that he collected. And, um, and you said it's called Drawing so, You In. So was he was he also an artist, was he? No, I'm the artist. Oh, you're the artist, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've drawn pictures of what, of the animals. Tell me about Carl Lumholtz for a start. What, what was his story? Yeah, Carl Lumholtz was a young man came out to Australia um, with um, support from the University of Christiania, which is now the um, part of the University of Oslo. And he came out to Australia. He travelled from Adelaide right around to Brisbane and then was supported by the Archer family at Gracemere in near Rockhampton. And he collected a lot of specimens, went west from there, about 800 k's. And he began hearing about um, the tree kangaroo and the yari and in North Queensland and decided to make an expedition up here. And so he came up here and travelled up the Herbert River, up and stayed at a place called Herbertvale, which was then part of the Scott family um, properties. And then from from there, he made a number of expeditions up into the gorge and then north um, through nearly to Mount Garnet. Um, and he wrote, he did write a book uh, about his um, ex- expeditions uh, in Australia. And then uh, after Australia, he went on to Borneo and to uh, Mexico to do similar work. And what he did in Australia was, sorry. Yeah. Now, what time are we talking about? When was this? 1882, 1883, he was in the Herbert River. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, go on, sorry. And he... He collected a, a lot of um, animal specimens that he, he sent back, but without the help of Aboriginal people, he would never have managed to get done what he did because he was travelling alone, mostly on horseback, some on, sometimes on foot, 
um, fairly treacherous conditions in the Herbert River Gorge. Um, it remains reasonably inaccessible today. Beautiful place. Um, and where was but it, is the home? T- where was he from? He sounds a bit like L- Ludwig Leichhardt, you know, doing foolhardy things, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, he he grew up in Lillehammer, which was a, a, a small town in Norway, mm-hmm. and um, he he travelled, as I said, with the support of the University of Christiania. Um, I've just had um, a, a man by the name of Lars Erik Johansson. He has come out from Norway to attend my exhibition, exhibition, and we also took him into the places where Lumholz would have there you go. Um, been. So, yeah. so, your, so your, ex, your exhibition has been on, or is it about to be on, or is on now? Or? It's it's currently on until May the 28th at Taito Gallery in Ingham at TYTO, and the book is also available there as well. And, you're, and where do you live, Valerie? You live in... I live in a little... Murray Upper. Murray Upper. Yeah. I, I don't think I've been to Murray Upper, but I'd like to go there. It sounds like a, a good a good spot. So, and, and it you're is, it is. drawing you in. So, you're these are pencil drawings, or you lovely stuff, sounds like. Yeah, it's uh, ink wash drawings, they're black ink wash. Um, I, I basically draw, drew on the style of what was actually being drawn at the time. Um, I saw ink wash drawings over in Norway that had been done for Lumholz's book and decided to do my work on a similar vein. They're beautiful, yes. Valerie, I'll try and get there before the 28th of May. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to let get... me know. I'll be there. All right. <laughs> I will do. Good on you. Nice to talk to you, Valerie. Weather report for yeah. uh, Murray Upper, please. Is is overcast but not raining and it's going to lift a bit of hope. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Nice to talk to you, Valerie. Nice to talk catch yeah, up thanks, again. Baker. See ya. Bye. Yeah, you too. Bye bye. <laughs> this is the all over news. This is the All Over News, and from Dave Hughes, he says, I know you like letters, Ian, but my handwriting is a long-lost skill. It's unreadable. Anyway, I have an unbelievable story for you, one that may astonish your loyal band of listeners. My late uncle, Flight Lieutenant Patterson Clarence Hughes, DFC, known as Pat, was one of 21 Australian fighter pilots engaged in the Battle of Britain. There's some conjecture about this number, but extensive research by the late author Dennis Newton seems to have confirmed this. They were the only ones entitled to wear the Battle of Britain clasp. Or is it clasp? Pat was the 11th of 12 children born in the Snowy Mountains near Cooma. Our family is descended from John Nichols, a First Fleet convict transported on the Scarborough. I only mention this because there are thousands of Aussies who can trace their lineage back to Nichols and his wife, Anne Pugh, and who are, or will be, vitally interested in this story. Pat was killed on the 7th of September 1940. At the time, he had been credited with 17 German aircraft shot down from July to the day he was killed. He was the highest-scoring Australian pilot in the battle, and believed to be the third highest-scoring Australian pilot during the entire war. He is credited by some writers as having shot down Franz von Vera, the one that got away. His story has been told in many publications, most recently in Australia's Few, Battle of Britain, 
by Kristen Alexander and Pat's biography, A Spitfire Pilot's Story, by the late Dennis Newton. Obviously, Pat was a Spitfire pilot, his last squadron being 234 at St. Eval. On the day of his death, he was flying his Mark I Spitfire X4009. He shot down a Dornier 17, and reports vary from there. Some say that he flew into the wreckage, he bailed out and the parachute failed to open. Others say that he flew into the range of another Spitfire. He had been married for five weeks. Author Dennis Newton says that Pat was the inspiration and driving force of his squadron. When morale was low, it was his leadership which welded them into an efficient fighting unit. Between 13th of August and 7th of September, the squadron claimed 63 enemy aircraft. We move on to 2023. Unknown to the family, a professor in the UK found the wreckage of Pat's Spitfire X4009 buried in a creek. He recovered it and stored it for 30 years. The Pay Brothers in Scone, who are aerial firefighting specialists but who also own vintage fighter restorations, purchased the wreck and are going to rebuild it to fly in Australia. In conjunction with the Hunter Fire Collection, also in Scone, this ambitious project has already commenced. The remains of the Spitfire have been on the Isle of Wight having some restorations done to parts of the fuselage and recovering all its identity discs and plates so that its provenance is proven. As I understand it, they are now packed in a container to be transported to Australia. Even though it's a wreck, it has been granted G registration in the UK so that it will be seen as a restoration and not a replica. Make no mistake about it, says David Hughes, this is a mammoth project. The Pays experience with the restoration of several other Spitfires will be absolutely essential to the successful ambition to fly this aircraft over the War Memorial in Canberra on the anniversary of Pat's death in five years' time. The cost of restoration staggered me, but it has been explained that, of course, Spitfire parts are not off-the-shelf items and that just duplicating some parts can be as much as $100,000 each. The Hunter Fighter Collection is a registered charity and they are coordinating the fundraising which will be tax-deductible. I'd love to think that the Hughes family and many other families descended from John Nichols would contribute to this ambitious project. Thanks for telling your audience about this project. I enjoy your program and have done so since 1990 when we moved to the bush from Sydney. Best thing I've ever done, says Dave Hughes. And while we're talking aircraft, come and meet John Cameron, who's devoted his life to making sure aircraft stay flying. I'm talking to John Cameron. John Cameron's a helicopter engineer. Is that how we describe you, John? Yeah, yeah. I'm heavy in the helicopter maintenance business at Bankstown. And we all think about helicopters and daring do, but... Unless there's people like you, they don't fly at all. And I just heard Dean talking about the rescue work they did around Yugara, and it's the same in bushfires everywhere. But you're the blokes that keep it flying. How did you start off looking after helicopters, John? Well, yeah, we wanted something. If you've got to have a passion for aviation, and, and helicopters are the foundation of aviation, industry now uh, relies on helicopter and aviation. Aviation should be the foundation. What's the difference between looking after a helicopter and looking after a normal fixed-wind plane? The helicopter's more of a flying machine. It's relying on the mechanics that are looking after to know the difference between worn and worn out, to replace parts before they become an incident. Every part in the helicopter is wearing, so you have to be a good engineer to know 
the difference between being worn and worn out. And one of the things I heard them talk about, and Dick Smith talked about, there's a shortage of blokes like you, and you've donated a, uh, some money to a scholarship. Yeah, well, the biggest problem in my business has been to find skilled people and people with, with hand skills. And the way the world's going now, there's getting few and far between. I'm going to be 80 uh, before too long, and uh, I want to leave something behind. If I can put something into the foundation to help train young people, it, I've left something behind. They're not getting the right training in some of the colleges that's needed to teach hand skills. Hand skills, it sounds fairly straightforward, yeah. but it's not, is it? <laughs> Tell us about it. what are hand skills? Well, every kid knows how to use his mobile phone, but if you give them a bit of sheet metal and you say, here, make a box out of that, they haven't got a clue. But if you teach them how to make the box and show them and let them make one, well, then they've accomplished something, even if it's only a sheet metal box. Some kids get proud of that. So we're, we're looking for boys and girls to uh, have the feeling of accomplishment by building something with their hands. Every child should have basic tools to do something to help their mother or their father or do something at home, and then that can lead into a career. They're motor skills, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's motor skills, yeah. When did you first find out that you had motor skills? <laughs> oh, I think I would have been probably eight years old in, in Melbourne. We used to live in Melbourne, and we were down the road from the Repco Bicycle Factory. We used to take great interest in building bicycles and, and repairing them. Now you've built a whole career on looking after helicopters <laughs> and I know Dean and Dick Smith and others think the world of you because I suppose you keep them flying. Yeah, yeah I've been 50 years on Bankstown Airport and really proud of the job we do mainly with helicopters now. And do you fly them yourself? Uh, I don't fly helicopters <laughs> the way I've set myself up. I didn't want to put the expense into that but I do fly a Tiger Moth around. And you like that? Oh yeah, I enjoy flying the Tiger Moth. One of the things I did for some publicity years ago was to fly my Tiger Moth under the Gladesville Bridge and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And you sound like Dick Smith, that's the sort of, <laughs> that's the sort of thing he gets up to. Yeah, I'm the only, <laughs> only person ever to have flown under the Gladesville Bridge. <laughs> I wouldn't be allowed to do that now, mate. Oh, no, be, there no, must no. be a rule about uh, well, that. Well, that, that, that was for a good reason. It was a, an aircraft adventurer that died and it was the day of his funeral. And Who was he, that? That was Sid Marshall and it didn't get enough recognition on his death and and so we was going to have a fly pass for his funeral and fly over the the funeral procession and uh it was going to be a formation of aircraft and they couldn't organize that so i thought well i'll do my own tribute to sid marshall <laughs> it's very dick smith mate. very dick smith <laughs> and anyway so i lost my license for a year and went to court over that but it was worth it just to get sid marshall's name out there to recognize what he'd done sid marshall was the first man ever to fly across the coral sea from new guinea to Australia. He was a great adventurer. Well, you're a great adventurer too <laughs> in lots of ways, John Cameron, and lovely to talk to you, mate. Thank you. Uh, pleasure, and we enjoy your radio show. More people should tune into it. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thank you. <laughs> and John Cameron gave $500,000 to try and ensure that there will be aircraft engineers in the future. This is the All Over News, and I've always had a great respect for pharmacists or chemists and the work they do, the free advice they give to millions of Aussies like me. The family chemist has still a reality in my family anyway, while the family doctor has largely disappeared, well, certainly in my family. Trevor Coomber runs a pharmacy 
in Evans Head in northern New South Wales. Maka, you travel all around the country and must notice the importance of rural pharmacy in this great land of ours. I'm old enough to have seen pharmacy change from a cottage industry to now a vital cog in the delivery of health. The local medical centre here in Evans has thrown vaccinating the town over to us and we've taken that responsibility away from the general practice in Evans Head, so it's eased the pressure on them. I'd rather have them see the more important people, cancers and melanomas and, and all the other health diseases that we're seeing. What I wanted just to tell you is that we're about to see the biggest change to pharmacy with the government proposing to double the number of drugs a person can receive with a script. And I'll just tell you a little short story. In a previous life, I spent some time in local government and the council that I was associated with, we had a problem that required us to go to Canberra to see Graham Richardson, who was the Minister for Local Government at the time. When we explained the problem to Richo, he replied, and I wrote his words down because they're embedded in my brain he said i live here in canberra my office doesn't have any windows how do i see the consequences of bad policy from the inside and what's happening now with this change to dispensing is going to be bad policy mainly because it will confuse the elderly it'll lead to drug misadventure and overdose but the main thing is going to create drug shortages for most of our health conditions. The problem we've got here in Australia is that we only represent 2% of the drug use in the world and most drugs are imported into Australia under licence. So we're at the bottom of the pecking list to get drugs. Good morning, Macca. This is Max from Wagga Wagga. Hi, Max. How are you this morning? I'm very interested to hear all your stories about insects and things. It's, that's fascinating. But I need to talk to you about my constant companion, Frank E. Furter, the sausage dog. All right, yep. He, um, he was quite fascinated when a few years ago, and I've been meaning to ring you ever since, I was harvesting uh, a windrowed canola and all these little birds were running in and out, in and out, and he was just looking at them politely. And then all of a sudden you put your bloody bird song on it and he looked a bit looking for these birds. There you go. Your phone's cutting out, Maxie. Where are you, driving or something or No. Oh, sorry, yes, I'm sowing wheat here at Wagga Wagga. Oh, and it's, um, you're on your ear. The, the reception's not all that good, but I can hear you. <laughs> well, that's good. As long as I can hear you, that's the main thing, Maxie. So, yes, I just thought, you'd, uh, just thought you'd be interested to know how your bird song upsets the dog when you're born. The sausage dog. What are you sowing, wheat? Sowing wheat, yes. And... So it's, uh, we've had a brilliant season here, brilliant start to the season, but... I've got a bit of difficulty because uh, the paddock has, uh, we had a lot of rain the last couple of years and there's bog holes, sinkholes everywhere. So um, if I suddenly disappear and start to swear, you'll know what's happened to me. <laughs> oh, Maxie. So uh, how, what sort of area are you sowing, Max? Oh, we sow a couple of thousand acres of uh, wheat, barley and canola. Um, yeah, we've been we're five generations on this block, so um, we sort of think we know how to do it. But every year is different. We're learning things all the time. Yeah. Anyway, look, I won't bore you. No, you're not uh, boring me at all. I'm going down into a creek, so I could well cut out. How's the sausage dog? Is the sausage dog still around? He's right here at my feet, sound asleep. We started very early this morning in the dark, and he's he's carked up. He's having a big sleep. <laughs> That's a lovely image, Maxie. Nice to talk to you, mate. You take care. Love your show. See ya. Thanks, mate. Bye. That's why I live where I live time. 
We found this lovely house just a little way from town. Good for you. We bought a beachside unit. We're travelling right around on the Wallaby. It's, it's our home among the gum trees And if you've got the time I'll tell you why I live where I live I don't mean maybe I'll tell you why I live where I live This is the Why I Live Where I Live segment. Some people live in churches. Some people live on boats. Remember we talked to that couple who were on the boat and they just sail and they sail and they sail. And some people move for whatever reasons. I remember one lady who said, was it a lady or a bloke? can't remember. And they said, anyway, we moved because we presumed improvement. <laughs> I thought that was fabulous. We all presume improvement for everything in life, don't we? That's the great way of humans. We rationalise everything. Anyway, I love looking forward and going back. This came in from Betty Wessel. She says, I enclose a poem, Ian. I'm from Southern California, came to Australia in 65 to see if I could form a better life. I feel Australia is the land of opportunity and the people I've met have been generous and kind. I was lucky to meet a gentle Australian with a love for his country, the best possible way to introduce me to it. We currently live on a site at an aquaculture project in WA rearing oyster larvae from microscopic stage to market size. Western Australia is a true frontier, dry, unpopulated and fragile. I like to say fragile. Like California before I was born. When I walk in the desert near Carnarvon, it takes me hours to get a few hundred yards. I'm always stopping to peer into a bush for the locally known did-you-get-drunk bird. Did-you-get-drunk? That's how the locals mimic its call. If you ever make it to Carnarvon, just ask for us at the oyster farm. And this is the poem. It's called The Gascoin. It's gone green now, this dusty, dry, red desert where I live. We've had eight days straight of rain. Red sand is fertile with a drop of rain. And oh my, the river, our wide red sand river, dry, soft like sand hills to walk on. Water flowed from inland rain weeks ago. We've had eight years of drought. This week we had eight days of rain. The river swelled and swirled all over the dusty, dry red dirt where bananas grow with irrigated water. Now bananas are underwater in places and houses too, some places. It's gone all green now. It's time to see the desert bloom and hear it make its noise after the quiet, dry, red drought. Isn't that lovely? We should go to Carnarvon, Kel. I think we're going to go. There's lots of... And Mexico. <laughs> when I was in Hobart the other day, I met Margie. Come and meet Margie. I'm in Hobart talking to Margie. How are you, Margie? Oh, hi, Maka. Thank you. That's what I came to town for, <laughs> just to say thanks. Where do you, where do you live? Uh, about half an hour south. Conningham. It's out in the bush and there's just hundreds of acres around me really of reserve. But I take you with me on Sunday mornings in my little two and sixpenny tranny with the dogs. And why do you live out there? Why did you choose that? It's sort of only half an hour of town and it's still in the in the bush. Almost every bird there is in Tassie that's native to Tassie. We've got it there. And a bit isolated sort of. A bit isolated. You can hardly hear the chainsaws and lawnmowers. Pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> Pretty good. But yeah. we see the migratory birds, you yeah. know, the the ones that swift parrots and things that fly over once a year. We see all that. We see the eagles. We see the dolphins. We see the seals. It's only a few minutes walk from the beach. Got it all, really. And it's just quiet. And then Sunday mornings, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes even 5.30. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just came to say thanks. That's I a really pleasure. mean it. What's it, where, is it, where is it again? It's called Conningham. Conningham. Yeah, it's just a little dead end. And how did you choose Conningham? Well, it, life changed and I thought, well, I'm halfway to town from where I was, 
halfway to town, middle of the road, middle-aged and middle-class. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Great to meet you, Maggie. Lovely to meet you, Charlie. Thanks. This is the Why I Live Where I Live segment, and from Luke. says, Hi, Mac. I wanted to tell you about the Bend of Islands, where I live. We are northeast of Melbourne, about 35 k's. It's a conservation area of about 600 acres where no dogs or cats are allowed. We have a big enough patch of native bush that the miners and blackbirds don't like, but the small native birds love. I'm a semi-retired stonemason and now specialise in making stone bird baths with bee steps in them for the beneficials to get out of the water on a flat surface. I have probably 20 different species of birds that use them every day. Wrens, red and yellow robins, spotted pardalotes, eastern spinebills several other honey eaters, LBBs, LBBs, that's little brown birds, too numerous to name. We look over the Yarrow River towards Mount Lofty State Park, so we know our view won't be built out. You'd absolutely love it, says Luke. That's why he lives where he lives. And finally, this is from many years ago, many years ago from a young fellow called Wayne. He went to Byabarra School and he says, here's my poem about the place where I live. I wrote it for a Dorothea McKellar memorial in Gunnedah. I won a trophy for writing it. I live on 80 acres of land in Byabarra, which is about 40 k's from Port Macquarie. It's an ace place, which is surrounded by creeks that have lots of bush around them, and that makes them very good for building cubbies around the place. And this is his poem, and it's called The Place... Have a listen to this. The Place Where I Live. I like the sounds at my place, the foolish talk of the peewee, the gentle swish of a stick falling, the high-noted trill of a thrush, and the lusty chuckle of the kookaburras. I like the silence at my place, the breeze pondering by, a mopoke flying swiftly through the night air, the depth of space, and the clouds standing guard on the hill. I like the movement at my place, a plover chasing a magpie off its territory, a hawk steadily hovering about the corn patch a crayfish quietly slipping along the creek bank and the dam rippling to the slow rhythm of the wind. I like the stillness at my place, a cormorant perched on a snag, drying its wings, a goanna basking in the sun, some weeds entwining themselves and the trees on a hot summer day. I like to smell at my place the fresh fragrance of the gum blossom wafting past my nose, the leaflet ascent emerging from the ground, the spicy odour of grass rising after it's been mown, and the clear air on a frosty morning. I like to feel, at my place, a smooth, warm, fresh egg, the tickly clover on my bare feet, dry, soft sand by the creek, and the velvety coat of our house cow. I like the place where I live. Composed by Wayne Allen at Byabarra School, that is too good to be true. It's just fantastic. And he said, and this is written, I'm telling you, 20 years ago, at least 20 years ago, more, 30 years ago. So Wayne would be grown up by now. And he said at the time, he said, my older sister and I are doing a project on Robinson Crusoe and have made a hut and started a fence. I listen to the show in my dad's truck every Sunday. Says Wayne Allen. I wonder what Wayne's doing now. If you'd like to write to Why I Live Where I Live, I'd love to hear it. Post Office Box 9994, Sydney 2001. You can email us, whatever. It'll get here. And that's Why I Live Where I Live for this week. Yeah, Ian, it's John speaking from Pomona. We're on holidays in the Eyre Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And yesterday I saw the giant cuttlefish for the first time. 
They're just about, they're just starting to turn up at, uh, at Wyala, and it was fabulous to see something blue through to green, and they're around, some of the males are up around half a metre, so, you know, most Australians are familiar with um, seeing the small cuttlefish bones on the beach. On the beach, Well, yeah. these are the giant, yeah, these are the giant cuttlefish that come to Wyala every year to mate, and... Um, I think the guide said yesterday there was 10 males for every female, so they have to compete. And the way they do it is to show off their colours. And the, the, the fish themselves, or squid, I suppose, um, only lives for a bit over a year. So they turn up and mate. And, and then I think they said uh, later in the year, um, through winter till about August, they could get up to 100,000, 200,000 uh, cuttlefish arriving at Wyala. Yeah, the bloke cuttlefish have it tough, don't they, mate? I reckon um, they've got they've got, <laughs> they've got to put on a display all the time. It's tough. It's a tough life. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 toured around the Air Peninsula, Ian, and it was just wonderful. A, a lovely piece of Australian uh, seeing Australia, and and um, at the moment I'm sitting um, beside the Salt Lake at uh, Port Augusta, looking at the Flinders Ranges. It's 18 degrees, no wind. It's a beautiful day. So. Um, uh, a lot of people travel through Port Augusta and, and uh, heading north, south, east and west, I suppose. Yeah, so John, a lovely day yesterday. Yeah, John, I feel sorry for people who don't realise what what uh, calm that the natural world, whether it's looking at a salt lake or a giant cuttlefish, what calm it can bring to the mind. And we need that so much. I mean, I just wish I was with you. I've never seen a giant cuttlefish like that. It's just a... A wonderful thing. We've been talking about insects this morning, but the natural world is really the healer. If you're looking to heal yourself, get out in the bush or anywhere and just yeah, smell the smell the daisies. That's uh, yeah. It's been a lovely month travelling around the Air Peninsula and uh, the, the the oysters at Coffin Bay. OMG, they were just sensational. And um, I, I found out that oysters are best eaten in winter. So. Um, and, and they were darn good. Oh, Lord. And the seafood down that peninsula, it's it's great, and it's Australian. So and, thanks yeah. for the time, Macca. Oh, it's all right. Oysters are best eaten whenever you can get the chance. That's, <laughs> oh, that's, your, that's your theory. I think a lot of people agree with that. But, yeah, it's a lovely part of Australia. Yeah. All right. Good on you, John. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Have a good day. See you, mate. Yeah. Bye. Hi, Macca. It's... Jenny from St. Helens. Jenny Cecil from St. Helens. Oh, Jenny Cecil. Hello, Jenny Cecil. From good, How are you? Yeah, good. From good <laughs> night, last originally. <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah. I was just ringing today to tell you about, I work in a, a school op shop here, and it's, it's a school op shop because it was originally the um, headmaster's house, and they turned it, the school turned it into an op shop. There's 10 ladies that work there. There's no manager. We're sort of a co-op. We have a meeting once a month and if somebody has an idea, we try it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And we all get on really well and we make an awful lot of money for the school. Mm. They love us. But our newest thing is we're, we get so much donated that so much has to go to landfill. So what we've been doing and what we've started to do, we bought some... Um, garden beds, tall garden beds, mm. and we're making wicking beds. We're using all the old natural fabric clothes that we don't, that we can't sell or we just get too many of. Mm. We put them in there first, bit of cardboard, bit of good dirt, 
and the vegetables and everything that grow in that is unbelievable. So we just want everybody to, um, you know, instead of throwing their old T-shirts and their stuff out that really isn't good enough for op shops, use it for growing your veggies because it is fantastic. It rots down. The worms love it. Really? And, um, oh, yes. <laughs> so you, you put them down, then you put some cardboard, then you put the earth. And, yeah, plant and, your veggies. And plant your veggies and it, and, and it just... Well, I suppose so. There you go. Good mulch and all that sort oh, of stuff. Oh, it's fantastic. And really, you hardly have to water your, well, here in St. Helens, you hardly have to water your veggies in the in the summertime because all the fabric and stuff has it rotting. Stores, as you, store, it's wet, stores the water. Stores water, yeah, exactly. And it's great. We actually applied for a, for a, a little grant from the Bendigo Bank no. and um, we've actually got it and um, we're going to buy some more and do some more <laughs> and we'll... Just give them give the food that we grow to the school for the school canteen. So it really is a, a roundabout um, thing, you know what I mean? And I was just thinking so many other people could do that too. So, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's good. what I wanted to tell you. <laughs> well, good on you. I, we didn't yeah. get to – it was a sort of a lightning trip to Tassie. We are only, well, for five days, I think we – Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You didn't get Saturday, to St. Sun- Helens, yeah. No, we, we couldn't get to St. Helens or St. Mary's or – other places yeah. we didn't even we didn't even go get to um cheapy not cheapy um we didn't get to um kindred did we to see uh, a mate from kindred we didn't get there but um oh yeah oh time. well the, sco- the scones and the cup of tea will still be on the veranda when you turn up next time <laughs> <laughs> all right that's a great idea um because yeah. people uh, yeah you, you throw things and it goes to the tip and i suppose you know oh so much goes to the tip honestly this oh, i think the population of st helens is about six thousand usually but it's about four times that in holiday time and we have a lot of tourists going through, so we get people are so generous, really, really so generous. But we just get so much, and we haven't got a big shop. Mm-hmm. And we thought, what on earth can we do with all this? And we went actually a gardening Australia guy. <laughs> we um, spoke to, went to a, a couple of us went to a, um, oh, a bit of an afternoon where there was one of the guys from Gardening Australia, and he was all talk about wicking and doing all this. Anyway, we've come home and done it, and it's going really well. So. We hope other, hope people will come in and check out what we're doing and, um, you know, go home and do it. <laughs> good on you, Jenny. I'll see you in yeah. in, uh, in St. Helens sometime. I was nearly going to say good night. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> that's okay. Never made it to good night, but perhaps you'll make it to St. Helens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I will. Yeah. I will. Good on you, Jenny. Okay. Take care. Great. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.